Welcome to Dental Brain Crops. This is going to be an exciting day. Today, I'm joined with Dipesh Patel of Blueprint Smiles. Welcome to the show, Dipesh. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so excited to have you. So I love talking with you. You always have such a good energy and um, actually some really unique things that you're doing in the industry. So I'd just love to hear from you. Let's just kind of start at the beginning. Did you always know that you were going to be a dentist? No, I, I actually really didn't. Um, in undergrad, I knew I wanted to go into like the medical profession of some sort. Okay. Uh, I thought I was going to go into uh, you know the medicine side of things. Uh, it was a family doctor that kind of convinced me to go into dentistry. Ironically, um, it was at a family outing. I think I was my after my from my first to second year, freshman sophomore year. He mentioned he's like, "Hey, what are you trying to do?" And I, I said, "Just trying to be like you, you know, trying to be a physician." And he's like, don't. I was like, wait, 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 what do you mean? It's not kind of what I kind of expected. He's like, hey, I have a lot of friends that are obviously in medical and dental. He's like, have you explored dentistry? We don't have a dentist in our family. Just go talk to somebody about it. And uh, he kind of was saying more things of like, hey, they have a better lifestyle. My friends, they're not on call that are dentists. Uh, just explore it. And if you still want to do medicine, by all means, do it. Uh, so that kind of is what started the trajectory. And then I uh, started shadowing dentists instead of um, – uh, medical doctors. And uh, one thing led to another. And uh, it was actually one of the, I think, first or second person I shadowed, I asked him why they picked industry. And the reason behind it uh, kind of resonated with me. I think at the time he had a young five-year-old that played soccer and he was saying something along the lines of, I picked industry because I wanted to have kids and I wanted to be able to coach my son's team. Right. Yeah. And so I, at that time I was a big baseball fan. I still am. Uh, and same, uh, yeah, go brave. We won finally. So yeah. that was a great thing. <laughs> and so <laughs> at the time, uh, for me, it was, I knew I wanted to have kids some someday in the future and I could see myself wanting to coach a baseball team and, you know, rec league and stuff was always after hours and, or weekends. So mm -hmm. I kind of, I thought it would provide that flexibility. And really that was the only reason I kind of switched from one thing to another. I hate to say it, but it wasn't like a love for teeth that got me there. It is the love for teeth that kept me there, right? Uh, otherwise, mm -hmm. I don't go to dental school. But that wasn't the original story of why I went to dental school. Yeah, which is really unique because as we as we get into our conversation, it'll be like um, that love and that passion for uh, your priorities and making room for everything has really uh, bled into what you've created in your space, which I love. So I guess my initial question is when you started out, did you find that it was what you were expecting with that flexibility and able to do everything you wanted to do? Uh, not, not really. Right. Okay. And it's only because I kind of jumped into private practice really early. And mm -hmm. the second, you know, as you know, and it looks like your listeners as well say, no, if you, you get into like entrepreneurship, your own business, executive life, it, it kind of takes a little turn at the beginning. You got a lot to figure <laughs> out, right? So you went from being, you know, eight to five chair side, Monday to Thursday, maybe some Fridays, Saturdays, right? Uh, and you get to clock in and clock out. You start buying your own practice and all of a sudden you don't know a lot of things at all. So mm -hmm. now you are required to put in more time at the beginning, which I kind of knew, but wasn't expecting as much as it was at the beginning. Uh, mm -hmm. So no, it, it didn't exactly go as planned <laughs> uh, to answer your first question. Yeah. So talk to me about that a little bit. So you get into it and now you realize there are a lot more things and a lot more involvement than you were expecting. So how do you handle that piece? Uh, 
you know, early on, I, I really didn't know how to handle it, right? When you're 26 years old, that's kind of when I kind of jumped into private practice. You know, my claim to fame was I was a negative millionaire at 26, right? <laughs> Still alone that, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. And then I bought a practice I, I shouldn't have bought. And that kind of started the journey. And then uh, because it was a practice I shouldn't have bought, I actually had to put a lot more time into it. Mm -hmm. um, so my first couple of years, I had the energy, you know, at 26, 28, it, it's not that big of a deal. Your body, you know, kind of keeps up and, you know, I didn't have other obligations. It was me and my own schedule doing what I wanted to do, but, you know, projecting out into my thirties and now I'm in my mid thirties, I, I kind of knew I couldn't keep up at that pace. I knew I was going to have to have some type of balance of, you know, work and life and, you know, not making sure I sacrificed, um, my life for work. And that's ultimately what our company started to become built on, uh, believe it or not. It was really based on what I kind of wanted personally for myself. And then when it's finally started to work, then we, we said, hey, let's just take it to everybody else and see if we can't create an organization centered around those same pillars. Mm -hmm. So when you say, just backtracking just a little bit, you say a practice you shouldn't have built, and there's probably a, a long list of reasons why, but... I know that the way that you like to think about things is like, you know, make everything an anchor for your benefit. And so what would you say, can you give me an example of something that um, at the time was really difficult and really challenging, but has helped you as you've created what you have now? Right. Uh, yeah. So one of my favorite quotes is, uh, you know, we never lose. We either win or we learn. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I say we now because I, I, and, uh, everything for me is part of the team. Uh, there's no I in it anymore. And uh, early on, it was, you know, I never lose. I or win or I learn. And I feel like as long as you learn from something, it won't feel like a failure, right, to you. But if you don't learn from something from your mistakes, it will. So early on, well, you know, when I took over that practice, uh, it was a like an 80% Medicaid practice in like the worst part of town. And I didn't actually know that. I didn't know that area. I was kind of kind of sold on it. Maybe I sold myself on it or accountant mm -hmm. sold me on it, whatever it may be. Um, in hindsight, it was the best thing that happened because I actually had to change everything with that practice. You know, it had paper charts, you know, digital, and it wasn't even digital x-rays. It was like analog film x-rays, old compressors, you name it. It had everything like from the stone age of dentistry. And I had to learn every process to recreate it. And while having to recreate it, you learn everything from insurance to, you know, staffing to uh, you name it, right? You have to learn every element of it. And uh, that, that's kind of why looking back, it was the best thing that ever happened because if I would have stepped into more of a privileged situation, whether I came from money or I didn't have the debt or I didn't have student loans, or uh, let's say it was just a practice I was already doing a million dollars and I just stepped in and started doing dentistry, I would have probably felt like I was the reason behind all of it. And I wouldn't have <laughs> to, to learn right? Because you're stepping yeah. into a good situation. You don't know any better. And for those that are in that situation, you know, I'm, I'm happy for them, but I'm also scared at the same time, because unless you've had the struggle to grow to a million, it's, it's very hard to figure it out when things hit the fan. Like when COVID happens, for example, mm -hmm. it didn't scare me as much because I'd been through so many iterations of things going wrong at the beginning. But if I was 26 and had no student loan debt and bought a million dollar practice and life was great, and then COVID hit, that would have been that would have been scary, right? Uh, and so, you know, you can only connect the dots going backwards, right? Uh, so when I'm connecting the dots, I always look at the past failures as experience for my future successes. 
Yeah, for sure. That really is the curse and the blessing of building a business is um, when you have to do things on your own, I feel like, I feel like at least in my experience, you're much more qualified to hire someone to do it because you know exactly what you're looking for. Um, but it does take a lot of energy on the forefront and um, helps you realize, you know, what you're, what you're comfortable doing and what you want to do differently, which is kind of where you were able to ask yourself some tough questions and figure out what type of business you wanted to build going forward, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So it, you know, it, it was one thing kind of that led to another, right? So it was my first practice uh, yeah, after kind of figuring it out and it finally grew. Then we got onto like the second one. And then, you know, the second one's harder than the first one in reality because I wasn't practicing there. I wanted to see if the systems would work. That led to some consulting that eventually led to the group that we have, which is more managing. And we, you know, have a few locations now. But, uh, you know, every element that you go from one to two, from, you know, like I guess entrepreneur to executive, whatever you want to call it, it requires a different version of you, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to constantly be willing to reinvent yourself because what worked to get you to that point won't work anymore when you're at the second level. And if you fall in love with those that element of growing from one thing to another and having to reinvent yourself, then it's it's a more bearable journey. And but you have to be very self aware when you're going through that process that you have to know that it's not going to necessarily go as planned and you mm -hmm. shouldn't expect it to, that you shouldn't necessarily be worried about the end result. And if you fall in love with the process of who you're becoming, then it makes it a whole lot easier, right? And so uh, it wasn't, I don't know if it was any specific ex exercises I went through to go, okay, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. But you know, I've always been a little bit more on the self-awareness side to hone into why do I feel the way I'm feeling? Why am I chasing this practice? Or why am mm -hmm. I chasing this metaphoric dream that I have? And the more clear that I get, the better I, I, you know, the company became. And then now the company is a reflection of the clarity that we had and we constantly want to keep uh, to keep growing it. Yeah. And I, you know, self-awareness isn't something that you can just do, you know, if you have time that week, this is a practice. This is a way of existing. I always say that, you know, entrepreneurship is a lifestyle. It's not an activity that you make time for. And so I know that you have some, you know, systems in place in your own, just the way that you conduct your life that are really important to you. When do you make time for that self-awareness? What does that look like? How do you, what works for you to stay on top of things? Right. So, you know, I'm currently the CEO of our company and I, I always tell everybody I'm not the chief executive officer. I'm more the chief emotional officer. And what I, <laughs> what I, what I mean by that is like, if the team's emotions are great, we're typically doing well as a company, but it really starts with my emotions, right? As the leader of the organization, your emotions unfortunately have to be in check all the time. So for me, my routine, you know, it starts with whatever time I wake up, I'm usually getting up at 5 a.m., but I actually don't touch anything work-related till about 7 a.m. So that is my time. And mm -hmm. I schedule, I'm a big calendar person, so I schedule out everything. So I'll even schedule my calendar. If I'm, you know, going through some rough patches where I'm feeling some burnout or some anxiety, I will purposely schedule like downtime where it'll mm -hmm. be hour at from three to four, uh, it will literally say, you're not allowed to do anything. Right. Yeah. Because if I'm not emotionally well, then I'm, you know, flying off the walls and making reactive decisions. Well, that has a trickle up trickle over effect on everybody that I lead. And that's never healthy for an organization. So uh, meditation is another big thing of mine. Uh, I will meditate daily. It's part of my routine. So for me, it's like brushing my teeth. 
Mm-hmm. And then I meditate and I make sure just like I would do anything else. I make sure that it's something I'm required to do every single day because it, it honestly centers me. Uh, and it, you know, whether I'm actually meditating or mindfulness or whatever I'm doing, it's, mm-hmm. it's at least quiet time where my mind is getting a break. Um, so that's a little bit of what I do. I'll try to work out a few days a week, whether it's, you know, lifting or walking doesn't really matter, but it's just to kind of get out and to shut our brains down because as executive entrepreneurs, that's our biggest strength and weakness at the same time. Our strength is we are really good at thinking of ideas and executing on them and putting systems and processes in place. But our weakness is weakness is because we go hundred miles per hour and we don't know how to slow it down until we hit a wall. yes yes i and then we'll do something about that wall and then we'll do it faster the next go around and then we'll hit the wall faster and we'll go through that cycle over and over until we realize that it's super unhealthy to hit that wall over and over (laughs) uh yeah i I, I try not to hit that wall uh too often so yeah which is really funny because you know i think that we can naturally have the idea that once we make it to a certain level or reach certain goals then we'll have more time to do the things you're talking about like then we'll have more time to work out or then we'll have more time to you know for our downtime or whatever but that's actually the opposite i have found and so i like you i'm an incredibly diligent scheduler and i noticed you said you'll schedule your downtime so do you also schedule like your workouts and your leisure and all are all those things on your calendar as well so I, when I'm trying to create a new habit, I'm scheduling it all, right? So mm-hmm. like if I am trying to train for something, right, then I'll, I'll schedule it because it's not something that's part of my habit loop yet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but once it becomes a habit, whether it's 21-day things or 90 days, you hear all kinds of reasons of what a habit should be, then I don't have to schedule anymore. So I don't have to schedule meditating for myself anymore. I, mm-hmm. I do it in the same place every day at the same time. It's like brushing my teeth for me, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So until something becomes a habit or if I'm trying to make a change, I will schedule it. And then it becomes part of my identity. Then I don't have to really think about it. It's autonomous to some degree and it requires no effort after a while. Yeah, creating permanent results is just fantastic. And it's obviously working for you because you talked about your team, but you, uh, you actually get to work with your best friends. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, the, the cool thing about uh, the executive team for Blueprint Smiles is it's everyone I've known forever. Right. So I've known one since middle school, uh, believe mm-hmm. it or not, with undergrad together. The other ones I've known from undergrad or dental school. So at least 12 years now is, uh, you know, we're approaching. Uh, That's so fantastic. It's, it's cool. So it's, it's, it's like a project. Right. It's just like a class project with your best friends. So <laughs> Although, you know, there, there's boundaries you have to, you know, separate. And we separated those very early to separate work from life. And we didn't want mm-hmm. it to kind of trickle over. And we had those serious conversations early on that we, you know, we mentioned that, hey, if this is going to affect our personal lives, our personal relationship, we shouldn't do this. But everybody's been pretty good with it. And because of that, it, it's kind of fun because it rarely ever feels like work. It almost feels like we're just hanging out with your buddies. And believe it or not, it's leading to something uh, pretty, you know, pretty awesome right now. So. Yeah. So talk to me more about that. Talk to me more about the pretty awesome right now. Uh, so the pretty awesome part right now is uh, I get to hang out with, you know, four of my best friends uh, on a weekly basis and we get to go to conferences together. We get to learn together. We get to grow together. Our families get to interact with each other. And so I, I couldn't ask for anything better. Yeah, I'm not on an island anymore. And that's kind of why I created the group. And that's why we keep, you know, adding doctors and teammates to our group is because, in dentistry, whether you're a clinician by yourself or you're a private practice by yourself, you're on an island a little bit, 
right? Mm -hmm. And you're in your thoughts and yeah, you can go to networking things and meet somebody, but it's kind of cool when you have your own island of people, I guess, uh, that you can, you know, vent to about whatever problems you're having and you know, they have your back and they have your best intentions. So uh, currently, you know, we're looking at some other locations, uh, but in reality, we don't really judge. We don't really judge ourselves on the number of practices or revenue. Uh, yeah, that's the end result to do well to support our family and to honestly to support every teammate at our locations. But it's it's to keep going as much as we want to go uh, together, and yeah. uh, where it takes us, we'll, we'll find out. But as long as it's fun, we'll keep at it. And uh, so far, for the last you know eight years, it's been great. And uh, hopefully, the next eighteen are the same. That's fantastic. And I know that you care a lot about your team. I think that's one of the things that I took away from one of our initial conversations was just the way that you talked about your team and the care and the concern that you actually have for every person in your offices. Um, talk to me more about that. Like what what is your thought process when you're bringing people on and you're thinking about what you want to um, provide and grow and how you want to develop them? What is that like for you? Uh, so uh, we hire a very specific way, right? And so, uh, you know, I think I mentioned that to you before that, you know, we don't really hire for skill set. I don't care if it's a mm-hmm. doctor position or a new grad coming out of school or somebody who's super experienced. Uh, we hire for personality and we believe we'll train for the skill because mm-hmm. we believe if it's the right personality that's going to fit the right culture with the right people, then in the moments where people are having a bad day or things aren't going well at home, you have a whole support system supporting those individuals. And mm-hmm. as a whole, uh, you know, there's an African proverb that kind of says something along the lines of, and I may get it wrong right now, but, you know, one can go fast alone, but far together. And I, I, I truly believe that. Right. And I believe that we should do everything as leaders in our power to help our teammates in whatever they're going through uh, personally or professionally. And as long as we take that approach first, that you show them that you care first, mm-hmm. that, they take care of the rest, right? So our approach is to, you know, care first and let them take care of the rest, not the other way around, which you kind of see, unfortunately, a lot in, you know, corporate offices where that person comes second, that task Mm -hmm. is first, right? And uh, I don't think that, I personally don't think that's the right approach. Yeah, well, it's probably a lot easier to show when it's a genuine interest, like I know it is for you. It just probably comes through in everything that you do. Um, so I'm curious if somebody was kind of more at one of those beginning stages, like that you described at the beginning and they were in more of a dark tunnel, so to speak, what would your advice be on, you know, how to create something from buying the wrong practice to the, the organization and the culture that they really want to be a part of for their professional life? Well, if, if, if the, not the mistake per se, but let's say that the mistakes already been made it's one of those things that you can't hold on to it forever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this great analogy about like a water bottle and this professor was talking about, and you're holding a water bottle right now, which mm-hmm. is great. So like if you were to hold that water bottle and, you know, I told you, hey, if you hold it for a, an hour, how is it going to feel? You're like, my, time, my arm might get tired. If you hold mm-hmm. it for a day, you're like, I might have to start cutting off my arm. And if you hold it for a week, you know, you may not have a limb anymore, right? <laughs> uh, and, but the whole analogy is, you, you can't hold on to the bad that happens in your life, whether it's a bad practice, a bad decision, whatever, because the circumstance is that's not going to change, right? Mm-hmm. The dealt, the card that you're dealt has already been dealt. Now you have to learn to play it whatever way you feel like playing it and just soaking about it. It's not unfortunately going to do anything. The second you start, you know, understanding that this is the, you know, cards I was dealt, um, 
now I'm going to do something about it is when change starts to happen. So th- to me, that's part number one. If you bought something bad, you know, let it go. You know, it, it don't have a pity party. Don't play victim mode. You know, mm-hmm. you're allowed for a little bit of time, but move on because that circumstance is not changing right afterwards. Uh, but as far as let's say they already have the organization, but they're trying to get a better idea what to do. I would go, you know, they always hear about like in dentistry, there's clinical vision, which is how, what kind of practice dentistry you want, do you want to do cosmetics, you know, fill and drill implants, whatever. Then there's a company vision, which is what kind of office do you want to have? Right. What kind of environment culture you want to have? I would take it a step further. And before you do to those things, figure out what kind of personal vision you have. See, so I would figure out what do you truly want out of life? first mm-hmm. and build your company after that element. And if you do, then everything starts to fall into place because you're not really lying to yourself about anything because you're truly saying I'm doing this because this is what I believe I want. And you're allowed to change it. And there's going to be multiple iterations of it, but you're, you will center in on what is truly most important to you. And if you do that, then your actions will be a whole lot more genuine and they won't be fake. And yeah. as a result, you'll feel pure. You'll feel joy when you're doing it. And work honestly won't feel like work anymore. Some days will. But for the, as a, for the most part, it won't feel like pulling teeth, right? Yeah. <laughs> it won't feel that way. So self-awareness, right? I know it's hard, but I would have a true conversation with yourself about why you're doing what you're doing. Is it for the money? Is it for because you want to buy that house? Or you think it's going to make you feel a certain type of way? Uh, is it because you're trying to prove something to somebody or your past self, right? Mm-hmm. You go through all these you know, self-talks, but if you figure out why you're doing what you're doing and the reason behind it, that clarity becomes kind of invigorating. And a lot of times you'll stop doing things that you, you thought you were doing for the right reasons when you probably weren't. It was probably some metaphoric ego of yours getting in the way. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I, what I found is that it's not necessarily that the thing has to change. The goal doesn't have to change. You can have the money or the big house or whatever those things are, but not to prove it to somebody else and not to make up for some mistake in your past or whatever. Those reasons don't really feel good. They don't motivate you with the right energy. Um, but there's usually something else out there that is a legitimate good fuel that you can pull from. It's just kind of like you said, becoming self-aware and clarifying, okay, what is the thing that I want? And what's the real like feel good reason that I want to go after this? Because that's ultimately what's going to keep you going through the iterations, through the growing pains, through all of the things until you get there. Yeah. And it's like, it's like the, for everybody that's listening, you can do like the question game to yourself, right? The why. So mm-hmm. like, oh, why do you want to buy a practice? Because of X, Y, and Z. Okay. What would that do for you? X, Y, and Z. Let's just say I want to buy a practice because I'll think I'll make more money. What would that do for you? I can pay off student loan debt what would that do for you? I will have to burn a student loan debt and I can buy a house. What would that do for you? If you keep uh-huh. going, eventually you'll get to the actual reason. And for the most part, and I've done the exercise for myself constantly over and over. And I'll typically find all I was really trying to do is prove something to myself or somebody else. And if it was somebody else, I learned to let it go. And if it was for myself, I had to figure out why, right? Was it some insecurities from the past? Was it from my childhood? And the second you figure it out, what it's causing, what's causing all these decisions, you tend to let it go. And then you get to the ultimate reason of why you're doing everything you're doing. For me, it was, it's really just to be happy, right? I ultimately yeah. want to be happy. So then if that's ultimately the end result, 
then why not skip all those things in between <laughs> and just start doing the things that make you happy? Because uh, for me, it makes no sense to go, I want to work this hard to do this, long hours, not see my family, get tired, to make thousands and millions of dollars, to one day retire at 65 and enjoy my life. Well, mm-hmm. that, that sounds great. But then at 65, who knows if you're going to be in great health? Who knows your relationships with the people around you? Who knows if you're going to like the same thing? Why wait for a day that may or may not, unfortunately, ever happen, right? Why not start incorporating that those elements into yeah. your life right now? And, you know, who cares if you make a little bit less, but if you get to go on vacation, right? More often, mm-hmm. you get to hang out with your kids or whatever it might be, right? Those are the things I wish most people would try to figure out early instead of chasing the things they think will make them happy. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. It can be lonely at the top, but you're right. And just enjoying that journey along the way, it's just so much more fulfilling. And again, it sustains you. You can't really, you can't really keep trudging that path. If, uh, if you're losing people along the way and your whole reason is this, you know, you're motivated by self-restriction. Once I get there, I can finally feel happy. <laughs> well, that, that's not going to keep anybody going. Oh, you, you'll come. If you're, if you're, if you're a go-getter, which I am assuming everybody that's probably listening to this is, you will keep going, right? Yeah. You, you, you will keep going. I promise you. Right. Uh, and there will <laughs> not be an end game then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you fall in love with the process, great. Which is what happened to me. I don't, that's why when people ask us, what's our end game, we don't really have one. I know it sounds mm-hmm. bad in the business world, but we, we really don't have an end game because we're not chasing an end result to go. We want to end up at a hundred practices or a hundred million. No, the, the end game is for us is we'll keep going as long as it's fun. And the second it stops being fun for an extended period of time, that's probably our signal. We should probably do something different. That's fantastic. Well, hey, is there anything else that I haven't asked you or that you want to add in before we end our conversation today? Uh, not really. I mean, if anybody wants to kind of reach out, if they're struggling with it, I'm more than happy to help. Uh, yeah, whether it's dental stuff or you know the business side, it, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, I do have one piece of advice, whether it's, it's clinical or business that yeah. it took, I just learned this recently and maybe a part of me kind of knew it. Uh, but you know, we're in, in our organization, we're all about happiness. That's why we have shirts that say smile, right? For example, we want people to not be burnt out, to not hate dentistry, not want to quit. Uh, it's terrible for the industry if that happens. Um, but what, what I believe leads to it is, you know, we're constantly trying to fix things in dentistry or in business mm-hmm. right? when in reality i don't believe you can fix anything you can only manage situations right and oh. if people can have a mental shift on the clinical side example would be you know a patient comes to you and they have this problem and you do your best to try to fix it doing a crown or a root canal and then it fails then we take it home as clinicians we go what did i do wrong i did this i tried this and sometimes it's nothing that you did wrong and the patient's upset or whatnot. And it's because that initial conversation was there's a problem, a patient and you, and you're trying to fix all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And when in reality, you should see it as patient has this issue. You're there to help that issue. And in reality, it's you and the patient against the problem, not you against the problem. Oh, that's fantastic. So the teaming approach. Yep. And you're doing everything you can to help manage that situation with the patient. Not you are there to fix their problems, right? And if you can get that 
through on the clinical side, you won't have days where you go home when there's a failure. And after a hundred successes, that one failure, it eats you alive. And for the young clinicians that are listening, you're going to go through that unless you switch that in your brain. And that I believe leads to a lot of the burnout because of the pressure we put on ourselves when things go wrong. Uh, and the same thing to me kind of applies on the business side, right? You know, on the business side, we're always urgent to fix problems. Somebody comes to you and there's a problem you're trying to fix and you go and the fire flight constantly happens and that stress constantly builds up. One advice that I, you know, took me nine years, 10 years now to realize this is not everything needs to be fixed. So what I tend to do is I will write it down even when it seems urgent. I'll write it down and I'll let it simmer and I'll let it burn. And if a week from now it needs to be resolved, we'll resolve it. But what you'll find more often than not is you didn't even need to resolve it to begin with. It kind of fixes itself and it wasn't that important to begin with. We just brought the importance to it during that time and everybody started focusing on it. And then you got sidetracked and then you got tired and burnt out. And we go through cycles of that constantly. And then we wonder why we're always tired, whether you're a clinician or you're in the business world or you're in both, right? It's because we are constantly attached to wanting to fix everything. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of power in language, you know? So when you have a problem or a situation at work, like you're talking about, or a situation with a patient, and then we decide this is complicated or this is bad. Um, those words are really powerful because now within our fix it mode, we're trying to fix the bad thing. And there's, I don't think that we take enough time really sometimes to be like, okay, so why is this bad? What am I hoping for with a resolution like you were talking about earlier, you know? And then if that gets fixed, then what? We don't do that whole process. Right. We're just really hyper-focused on the bad thing and that freaks us out. And so I think this is great advice, excellent perspective to let it just, it just is, this is the situation and we can manage the situation or we can see what happens if it works itself out or not, but right. not and, labeling it. Yep. And I, uh, and one other thing that I'm constantly working on and, you know, since you're a dental life coach, right? The life element of it. And we mm -hmm. talked talk about the dental element right now, but talking about the life element, uh, I'd like to remind people that, you know, whether you're a clinician, business person, whatever you're doing, don't forget, you want to be the best clinician sometimes and you want to be the best business person. Don't forget to be the best, you know, neighbor. Don't forget to be the best <laughs> father. Don't forget to be the best, you know, all these other responsibilities that we have. You know, don't neglect those things because, the shiny object in front of you, which is the business or the clinical case or whatever it might be, takes precedent all the time, right? Because of those elements, whether it's your health, your family or anything else are neglected for too long, I promise you, your business and your clinical side won't be there forever then. It won't. It, it, it's, gonna, it's going to not be as productive as you want it to be. So make sure you, as much as focus that you have on your clinical or your business side, you have that much, if not more focus on the other elements of life that you ultimately are saying you're doing all these things for. Mm -hmm. Well, don't forget to take care of that first. And if you do that, I promise you the other side is going to be a whole lot easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well said. Thank you, Depesh. I sure appreciate your time today. This was a lot of fun as always. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I appreciate you joining me for today's episode. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit dentallife.coach for access to additional coaching tools 
as well as more episodes to help you create the dental life you truly desire.